Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Big Nickel IDP podcast. I am your host, John Macri, fantasy analyst at PFF. Training camp opened up this week and so did the floodgates of every hype video you could imagine from now until September. But for this episode, we're going to be looking at some players who maybe aren't getting the same level of hype coming off of down years so that we can ask the question, are these guys toast or can they get back on track in 2023? It's bounce back time, so let's get it. folks i am very excited for this episode because not only does it mean that we are kicking off training camp season this week but it also means that i get to talk to one of my favorite people in idp land just as i have every year since this podcast started talking bounce back candidates joining me from football guys the one and only dynasty trip trip how are you good sir i'm doing well man appreciate you having me on it's it's always a blast to talk football with you and i'm honored to hear that i've been on every single time every every year now so it's 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 a tough topic to talk about but it's a lot of fun yeah yeah i'm i'm, I'm excited that you're back too I, I love getting to talk to you and um yeah it's fun you, you chose this uh topic way back when i was first planning out all the episodes like three years ago and, and you thought bounce backs would be fun and and challenging and little did you know i was gonna make you uh do it for three years straight at least <laughs> and, and uh, keep coming back to it to challenge uh to challenge you and get your thoughts on the exact same thing so i apologize for for pigeonholing you there but uh i, I appreciate you uh you coming up with a list every year no that's awesome dude that way i can get a you know a couple mulligans and not take so many 30 foot jump shots this year so (laughs) (laughs) fair enough fair enough i know i i honestly i i wish i could remember like i should probably do like a recap of guys that we mentioned last year or something and see you know where we're where we were at but um yeah my uh my brain is uh, is all over the place and i don't think of these things until it's too late unfortunately so uh, <laughs> uh but uh, yeah let's let, we'll get into it here like like i mentioned we're we're, all, we're talking bounce back candidates on the defensive side of the ball of course so these are guys who for whatever reason be it injury or inefficiency had down years from their career norms or at least what we've come to expect from them so it's kind of up to us here to to pick out the ones who are going to get back to the fantasy um producing machines that they they once were and and hope that they're not just naturally declining to the point um that they'll never get back to the idps that they once were like so many of us who have, have passed their prime um but uh, so without uh, too much more rambling from me, let's uh, let's kick things off with one of Tripp's picks to bounce back this 2023 season, starting at the linebacker position this time around. Who do you have as your first bounce back candidate? I thought I'd start off with Jerome Baker, the inside linebacker for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, he's uh, a, you know, not that old, right? He's only going into age 27 season, so it's not an issue of him falling off because of age exactly. And he's a, a player that's uh, not been all that productive for the last couple of years. And I, a big reason for that has been the scheme. The Miami Dolphins scheme, a, a man heavy, blitz heavy. This is a guy that plays only about two thirds of the snaps actually in the box. Then almost another third of them, he's playing on the defensive line, actually, according to pro football focus 
alignment data. And uh, he now transitions from a scheme that had really become an outlier simply for the fact that it hadn't really evolved with the rest of the league, which is Josh Boyer's man-heavy one-high system in in Miami. He's been replaced, of course, by Vic Fangio, who's uh, pretty famous these days, despite the fact that he was um, not even the coordinator last year. But nevertheless, what we're going to see out of Vic Fangio is even though it's uh, a fairly complex and sophisticated defense, it's going to be closer to league averages in terms of use of man and use of blitzes and such like that. And therefore, his utility, his deployment is going to be closer to league average. And so last year, he played uh, a little over 1,000 snaps and only had 100 tackles. And as a result, that 10% tackle rate is just really low for a linebacker. And so I feel he, he only played 89% of the snaps last year. I feel like that's will be about right this year, but I think that he can easily get 12% tackle rate and get up over 120 tackles. And and the ceiling that he's had for big play leagues isn't going away completely. Yes, he blitzed a lot last year. He probably won't blitz as much this year, but he'll still rush some. Uh, Vic Fangio does blitz the inside linebackers and uh, has them rush in simulated pressures as well. So he might only have 50 blitzes, but it's better, you know, it's not 100, but still it's an opportunity to score a few sacks and, and, to, and to get some tackles for loss as well. So I think he's a you know, decent player, not awesome, but a decent player who's going to see the field. He's not going to lose snaps to a third safety because they have next to nothing in safety in Miami. So um, I feel confident he plays a pretty healthy snap share. And he's one of those kind of free squares among LB3s. I'm in leagues where people are just trying to dump him for whatever they can get for him. And I think it's because they've just kind of you know, lost patience with him for putting, he's put, you know, had 120 tackles, what, three or four years ago and hasn't met that number since. And it's entire it's largely, in my opinion, because of his scheme and deployment. And I think that corrects this year. He seems to be a player that's you know, commented that he's uh, content with his utility. I mean, granted, it's easy to say, I guess, you follow that kind of training camp hype, but seems to be a player that sounds happier in his role this year. And so I think he probably will be more productive for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's always kind of been like the biggest issue with, with Baker, right? Was that that scheme, the Brian Flores and, and Josh Boyer defenses that, like you said, man heavy, blitz heavy defenses that that had him playing in man coverage and, and rushing the passer so much of the time that it, it killed his tackle efficiency as a linebacker and put him well below uh, the league average in that regard. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I've never been like the biggest fan of Baker, and it's mostly been because of the scheme. Um, but I'm, I'm with you in the in the thought process here because I think it makes sense, you know, given the new defensive scheme that that he become a bit more consistent right and a little less boom bust which is kind of what he's been right when he he gets those sacks those big weeks they're, they're great they're great for idp we just never knew when they were going to come and then most of the time he was he had a really low tackle floor so i think if we could get a little bit more consistency from him that'll be a huge part of it um the the, the only issue i guess i have about with him or at least concerns is you know even taking into account some of like the poor tackling schemes that he's been a part of as well as like the amount of time that he's he spent blitzing blitzing um his ta- his tackle rate has always kind of consistently been below expected even taking all that information into account so so um accounting for it it's so it's usually harder at least from what i found is for for players to kind of buck that negative trend um than it is to regress from like over overperforming for example so that that's the only thing that worries me about Jerome Baker like I think I think you're right the league average tackle efficiency that 12% is about right for him um and and you know him getting into maybe a useful LB3 
low end LB two kind of thing on a weekly basis would be perfect for him um, in a new defense. And, you know, like you said, there'll still be opportunities to blitz, but it won't be nearly as much as what he was doing um, under Flores and, and, and Boyer. So it, it was one of the things I'm worried about for the Minnesota linebackers. It was always something that kind of hurt Jerome Baker. We'll see how um, he kind of gets back into it here. Are, are you any concerned about him? Um, potentially losing snaps to David Long or you think they'll both get out there at a fair um a fair rate and and both be useful or do you like one over the other no I probably like Long a little bit more and have Long okay. ranked a little bit higher he doesn't seem like a player who profiles as a bounce back but yeah I think right. I think yeah. they're both decent utilities I would be drafting you know Long as an LB2 and and Baker as a, as a LB3 in, in leagues yeah. where I'm gonna say a 14 team league <clears throat> yeah yeah makes sense I like it all right, so that's Jerome Baker. All right, my linebacker bounce back here is going to be Devondre Campbell of the Green Bay Packers. So Campbell, he, I mean, he's really been very consistent as far as being healthy. Uh, he's played at least 16 games in five straight seasons before he missed four this past season. So it wasn't like a significant chunk of time, but it was enough at least to kind of hamper his overall production and and keep him from kind of performing at the same high level that allowed him to finish in that you know top five range at his position uh in overall grade run defense grade coverage grade in 2021 he had that really strong year um but yeah last year he missed the 100 tackle mark after posting 146 in 2021 didn't record a sack for the first time in five seasons either so down numbers across the board for Campbell even with the missed time basically other than the missed time the only thing that nothing really changed all that much it was just um you know there was his role basically stayed the same. It, you know, they brought in Quay Walker, a first round linebacker there. Didn't, you know, wasn't a huge part of his production dip uh, because he was still the kind of full-time guy uh, in that defense whenever he was healthy. So, you know, as, as far as bouncing back this year, I feel pretty good about the Packers defensive scheme, at least uh, rack, ranking as like one of the more tackle friendly schemes for linebackers this season. So I think you combine that with an expected every down role from Devondre Campbell. Um, I don't think he should have any problem kind of getting back closer to that, that 2021 production as long as he stays healthy, of course. So I know Quay Walker is, is, is a favorite among a lot of IDP managers, especially in dynasty. I've seen him go earlier than Devondre Campbell in redraft leagues. I don't know that he'll get it. The, the same level of playing time as Devondre Campbell will again, as long as he's healthy. So um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of Devondre Campbell bouncing back this year. Yeah, I like it. I was listening to a pod this morning, um, Gary Van Dyke and Johnny, the Greek have a podcast SGPN and they were, they were regaling some sleeper ADPs and some of their analysis and they have, and Quay Walker is the LB seven by sleeper ADP. Like I would love to hear someone make a case. Wow. Of wow. why that should be <laughs> so, yeah they were they said the same thing i think i'm about to say which is that they basically they're reversed and you know campbell's like lb 29 or something like that off ball 20 linebacker 29 Man. and those two should simply be flip, flipped it's, it's i mean can't we quay walker has some upside the good dynasty pick like you said but you know there were some maturity issues last year that seemed to flare up and i just don't think that they're ready to pass keys of defense over to him mm-hmm. Yeah, that's concerning if it's if, if it's not a dynasty league. Hopefully that was like a dynasty um, ADP because who knows with sleeper sometimes it, it's kind of all over the place uh, <laughs> in their ADP. But yeah, if 
Quay Walker at LB7 and, and Devondre Campbell at LB29 for redraft just doesn't make a lot of sense, uh, especially when you, you put these guys in their expected roles. Campbell should be the every down guy. And then, um, yeah, I, I, I'd be surprised if Walker uh, surpasses him this season if both guys are healthy. All right, let's go to another linebacker situation here for your bounce back candidates. What are you thinking about uh, with your next pick? Well, I th- thought I'd talk a little bit about the Cleveland Browns and uh, and Tab uh, Sioni Taki Taki just for a minute, in part because I was I was I'm interested in the, the salaries. Uh, this is I think that it's one of those clues that sometimes we in the IDP community don't necessarily take advantage of when it's just right there in plain sight. And what's interesting about Taki Taki's contract is that he's it's two point four million dollars. Doesn't sound like a lot. Well, he was injured in December, popped an ACL, I believe. So odds are pretty good that he misses half the season. If they're paying him $2.4 million for half a season, that's $300,000 a game. That's basically starter money. And you know, maybe that's, you know, I don't know, jumping to a conclusion with math there, but I, I think it's a pretty compelling case when you can contemplate that Anthony Walker is only making a million dollars. I think he's making the veteran minimum or, you know, 10 grand more than that or whatever it is. And so that's an interesting uh, dichotomy to me. So I'm interested in uh, in the whole linebacker situation in, in, in Cleveland. And if you, you kind of take the three guys that look like reasonable candidates, which are Jeremiah Owusu, Koromoa, and Anthony Walker and Sione Takitaki, they seem to fit across the board pretty clearly in the old school traditional roles, a weak side, strong side, and a linebacker. The question then is if everyone was healthy, who would play, who would play and who would come off the field? And I think because of health, it stands to reason that Walker is a guy to look at pretty early. And but because he's we wrote about him as a sleeper in football guys, he was at the time outside of the top 60 linebackers. Well, yeah, easy. Yeah, pick him up. He's probably almost certainly playing full time or close to it as the season starts. And if if he loses the role to Taki Taki after Taki Taki comes off pup, well, so what? You know, pick up Taki Taki or pick up somebody else and plug him in there. But the two guys that interest me in terms of being able to play the majority of the snaps are Owusu Koromoa and Taki Taki. In part, uh, the both of those guys are much better athletes than Anthony Walker. They and I think that they fit better in terms of I think both of those guys will profit from being in a Jim Schwartz defense, which is more of a one read and go type of defense. Uh, both guys uh, profile better hit and run linebackers uh in talky talky was a guy that was kind of pigeonholed as a sam because he wasn't good on the processing side and so it seemed like he needed to be relegated out there he was really only pressed into the middle because of injuries first to anthony walker and then to jacob phillips who was playing full-time for like three or four games before he got hurt and phillips i'm reading is probably on the roster bubble and so I, it's kind of discounting that a bit, but um, I, it seems to be that what the athletic profiles seem to me for Taki Taki and, and Wilson Cormo, who are both over nine, I think, relative athletic scores at Kenley, Kenley Platt's um, math bomb calculations. I think that they're good fits for that defense. My issue with Owusu Koromoa is that he has been dinged a couple times in public by his linebacker coach. It's the same linebacker coach as he had last year, Jason Tarver, has dinged him for needing to put on weight and and be and build his body up for the rigorous number of an NFL season. And so I really think if we want to contemplate 
JOK as a full-time linebacker, we really need to hear that he's put on some good weight and that he's taking on and shedding blockers in, in, in preseason and in, and in the inter-squad scrimmages and whatnot. So, I mean, I was big on him in the spring, but this, the more I think about it, the more I'm thinking he's more of like a Kaiser White sub-package type guy who just is mm-hmm. never going to get more than 85% of the snaps. And so that's kind of leading me between the money and the way the roles fit. Uh, and the uh, just the way they fit the defense is kind of putting me on talkie talkie, which isn't super exciting because people are like, well, he's hurt. I can't release him. But you can probably put together LB2 production for nothing. You could start off with Walker, switch over to talkie talkie midseason if necessary. And if you got the bench, just carry them both and see how it goes. But it's like, it's kind of the way I like to play fantasy, IDP fantasy football. I use, I draft my entire offense first usually and then see what's left of defense. And so these are the kind of guys, the Jerome Bakers and the talkie talkies that I'm, I'm looking for. Well, you know, and so if, if guys like David long slide, because people aren't on them, that's fine. I think those guys too, but you know, it's like, I, I'm just I'm kind of attracted to that situation. That being said about Anthony Walker, I mean, it would not be the first time Anthony Walker has faced a more athletic younger player and held that player off for a couple of years. That would be the case for both talkie talkie and Musu Koromo. He did that in Indy. He yep. had Bobby Okariki was drafted in the third round, and everybody just assumed, well, he's obviously there to overtake Anthony Walker because Matt Everflus likes the athletic guy in his defense and uh, run a hit type linebacker. And Walker held him off. So, you know, I, I wouldn't discount Walker either. But basically, the short answer is the long answer, I guess. I'm long winded today. <laughs> the long answer is all these guys are good values at cost, and you can put together LB2, LB3 production with these three guys for nothing. Yeah, it's a great point. And, and it's one of those situations, right, where I, I mean, I probably don't even need to look at the ADP. I could tell you right now, Jeremiah Wusukormo is probably the first Browns linebacker drafted um, in almost every single league. Uh, Anthony Walker, Sione Takitaki, these are guys that uh, are, are afterthoughts right now because they don't have the the sex appeal as, as JOK, right? So Anthony Walker, obviously, I think he only played one game last year, so he got hurt, but he was the starter. Um, for the Browns at that in week one. And I know, you know, as the, the, the season progressed, the Browns linebacker situation was, was pretty crazy. It got, it was different leaders in, in snaps every single week between Jacob Phillips and JOK and Taki Taki. And so who knows if it would have stayed that way. Um, but I think the Anthony Walker injury did play a part in that too. I think they did plan to have him as their number one linebacker um, because of the experience uh, alone. But you know, you look at somebody like a talkie talkie, like you said, I like the call because you could put him easily on like a watch list. Um, if you're, you're on MFL or something like that, where you can kind of keep an eye on these guys and then see how the season progresses. If Anthony Walker's inconsistent, or it looks like they want to move away from him, then you can pick up talkie talkie for free as well. And it's, it's a situation where, yeah, I'm just not, I don't think it's worth investing in JOK this year as as kind of the first Browns linebacker. I don't think you want to plant a flag by saying in a draft, you're going to be the first guy to take a Browns linebacker and say, this is the guy that's going to lead the group because it really could be anybody. I mean, even Jacob Phillips, who knows if he if he emerges. But I, I think for the most part, it should be Anthony Walker that, that starts the year. And then, yeah, like you said, there's a very good uh, case to be made for Taki Taki to come in there as well. So um, 
yeah, d- great call. I, I love the thought process there. And yeah, who knows? We'll see. I think we talked about it with Tom as well with, with Jim Schwartz coming in. Will we see a little bit more consistency among these the deployment for these Browns linebackers? I, I, I hope so, just for IDP's sake. But I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if they just continue to utilize these guys in situation-specific roles as well. And it becomes a little bit frustrating for, for IDP managers to try to keep track of and, and guess who's next, which is... A reason to to avoid the group or at least take the best value of the group as well in drafts. Yep. It's the old running back thing, right? If you don't know who's going to emerge from a platoon, just take the last guy. Yeah. Right now, last guy's talking talking because he's not healthy. And then yeah. of the healthy guys, Walker's the healthy guy. <clears throat> That's true. Yeah. All right, let's do uh let's do another linebacker here. Last linebacker on the bounce back list. Um, so I went with Devin Bush. So this is, uh, you know, a guy, well, I guess it's relative to what he's bouncing back to, but a former top 10 pick, uh, he he's just struggled to kind of stay relevant in the NFL and, and for fantasy purposes for that mark, that part, um, since his rookie year and and, you know the only time that he was able to crack 100 total tackles in a season was in his rookie year in large part due to a torn acl in year two and then he was relegated to more of a a part-time role uh over the last two seasons but with bush's time in pittsburgh done you know he kind of gets a fresh start in seattle which also brought back uh bobby wagner but you know it's expected to be without or the Seahawks are expected to be without their leading tackler Jordan Brooks for at least the majority of the regular season so Bush I think is the best bet to kind of play second fiddle to Bobby Wagner there in Seattle for as long as Jordan Brooks is out which could stretch into November at this point we don't know we don't have a timetable for return for Jordan Brooks um I don't think it's likely that Bush plays like an every down role in Seattle. Um, you know, like it would like it used to be with the Seahawks where there were two every down linebackers. I don't I think last season they started to experiment a little bit more with some three safety looks and they had some success there where their defense actually performed a lot better with just the one linebacker on the field. So I think they could go back to that. Um But even in a range of kind of 70 to 75% of defensive snaps, I think he could push for that 100 tackle total in a very linebacker friendly defense in uh, with the Seahawks, you know, the Seahawks ranked uh, among the top five teams in deploying one of the more expected tackle friendly schemes for linebackers this coming season. So I think that helps um, Bush potentially kind of surpass some of those expectations, even on a slightly lower uh, snap count. So for me, he's another one of those guys could be a value uh, candidate as well, but you know, a great late round target to kind of help fill out a linebacker core in leagues where there's maybe three linebackers are required to start or like those 14, 16 team leagues as well. Nice. Bush is always as a guy that's always puzzled me. I just, I remember watching his last game where he played against Ohio state and it, I was really surprised when people started to say, well, this guy's a top 10 linebacker. And of course, the beginning, it started with, well, the Bengals are going to take him. I'm like, well, you know, good old Bengals. This was what, three or four years ago when their <laughs> defense couldn't get out of its own way. I'm like, and then the Steelers jumped in front of him and took him. I was just blown away. Yeah. In the game against Ohio State, they, they, you know, he was supposed to be this athlete, this cover guy. And they just kept attacking him with wheel routes out of the backfield and just ate him up. And it forced Michigan to drop into a zone, and then they would just run against the zone, and and they and so and then they run they were running right at Bush, and they were blowing them off the ball too. Like, 
this guy's a top 10 linebacker. I was blown I away. So I was just looking at his numbers a second ago, fast forward to now, and he's gotten his quarterback rating, opponent opposing quarterback rating, according to pro football reference, has gotten worse every year he's been in the league. Yeah. And he's going out there now, and it's certainly agrees he's the second guy. I mean, obviously, they, they signed him. They're going to put him in the second guy. The question is, is you know, how does it fit with sub packages? Or what is his percentage of play? And what I thought, what I saw watching the Seahawks defense last year is that like you mentioned that they found started to find some success there playing and uh, playing uh, uh, an extra defensive back on the field. And it was the rookie Kobe Bryant playing in the slot that seemed to work for a couple of weeks. And then teams figured that out. I was like, well, we can attack a rookie overhang player. That's easy enough. And then so that got Cody Barton back out there for a while, and the defense was just not very good. And so I'm interested to see how it fits together this year. And what I, what I looked to is they signed Julian Love. So now they have two straightforward safeties you know, that are – you know, Quandry Diggs is a good player, and then he's out there with Julian Love, and then they got Jamal Adams, and he, that's just the total wild card. How much can they get out of Jamal Adams? I don't, I don't know if anybody knows. I mean, that guy is. I hate to use the saying that you know players can't stay healthy because I feel like it's a crutch argument. But in the case of Jamal Adams, it's, yeah, I mean it's just this guy. It's, I think that they feel like anything they can get out of him is a bonus. So it really comes down to a to me in terms of. It's a Bush versus Adams in terms of who's you know, it's a too many mouths to feed issue. It's like who's going to who's going to get fed, who's going to get playing time. Mm-hmm. And if Adams is healthy, if they can get you know thirty or forty snaps out of a game out of out of Adams, then they're not going to get you know those guys mm-hmm. to be on the field a little bit together. But I think that it really cuts into the opportunity for Bush to get mm-hmm. on the field. So that would be my concern: is that what does it look like with everybody healthy? Now, granted, not everybody's going to stay healthy. People are going to get hurt, and so there's an opportunity for them to. To maybe play more there but it's 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 an interesting one for sure i'm interested to see how it plays out yeah i i agree 100 percent. i i think that is a, a very likely scenario if everybody's healthy is that they do kind of go back to those three safeties i think the julian love signing was kind of telling there maybe that's also telling in, in jamal adams health a, a little bit as well there mm-hmm. still hasn't been a timetable for for him to return even though they kind of expect him to be back um in, in time for the season we don't know for sure i i would have loved to have put jamal adams on this list but i'm pretty sure we i, I would have put him on this list maybe last year or something like that again so i'm not <laughs> getting burned again uh with jamal adams because like you said yeah the the injury stuff sucks right it you know sometimes it does it's certain players it hits them harder um but yeah i'm with you i think you know if jamal adams quandre Diggs, and julian love are all healthy we could see kind of julian love maybe jamal adams eat into those devin bush snaps and i i think it makes perfect sense because like you said devin bush not the best NFL linebacker, despite being a top 10 pick. I, I you know, I, I, he was definitely kind of miscast in, in that uh, role coming out of the draft. So, um, I think any reason to kind of keep him off the field that the Seahawks should take it if they're looking to be competitive. But yeah, the way things look right now, I, th- I could still see him getting on the field kind of enough to be fantasy relevant at, at a pretty decent cost. All right, uh, let's move on to the edge defenders here. Who do you have as your first edge defender bounce back? Well, first of all, I'm going a little different than last year. Last year, I was like, all right, let's see if I can't find some guys who I know are going to play volume, who has good situation opportunity, and just kind of hold my nose and think, they're just, you know, yeah, I know they're not that good. <laughs> but because of situation opportunity, they should get enough volume that they should make a difference. And so I had a – it was I had a. I forgot one of the one of the guys is Bud Dupree. He went on ahead and got hurt, so it figures. Another one is Frank Clark, and you know, it's, I got a notification in season from Sleeper uh, that said that Frank Clark's status has been changed from healthy to sus. Sus. Yep. Yeah. No, he's sus. 
that's so sure. I'm not, I'm not, you know, so my, my strategy on the edge bounce back players is going to be a little bit different this year. And I'm, I'm going to look back and it's going to be a theme to it. There's, uh, I have several guys who have, have been first round picks who have, some of them have made good money, uh, you know, gotten big contracts and people seem to sour on those guys quickly. And I feel like it's like a perception thing uh like you, you see a guy like james houston who rushes the passer 100 times gets eight sacks everybody's like, oh he's not a flash the pan that's the real thing right. and then you see a guy that was awesome for an entire season and he's early pick like oh no 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 he's a boss he actually can't play you know I, I, you see this in march madness a little too like you know you see a team that's like number nine in the country and they get a one seed and everybody says oh that's terrible it's an outrage and then what they do is they said we're, they think that an eight seed is going to upset them in the second round well there's still a number nine team in the country. <laughs> not going to lose to an eight seed in the second round. <laughs> and so my first guy along these lines is Chase Young, the defensive end for the Washington Commanders. Chase Young was really good in his rookie year. He played really well. He was in the top 10 pass rush win rate of all edge defenders across the entire league, according to ESPN collecting and reporting on next-gen stats. And the, you just don't forget how to do that. Uh, and so, and, and then people say, well, he wasn't as good in his sophomore year. Well, sure. I mean, it would have been hard to be as good as, as, as he was in his rookie year. And then he was injured and people want to point to what happened to him last year. I, it's, it's important to know that he was severely injured. He didn't just pop an ACL. He popped the patellar tendon as well and had to have a graft taken from his other knee to reconstruct his first knee. So there were people who were dogging him because he wasn't coming back as fast as your typical ACL tear. Well, he had a whole lot more happen than a typical ACL there. And in fairness, he may be permanently reduced because of that, because those are serious injuries. But I don't think we can draw that conclusion after three games. The next thing people want to talk about is the fifth-year option. I think that people really don't appreciate how expensive a fifth-year option is. It's it was for his his fifth-year option cost was seventeen point four million dollars. It's like eighty percent or more of a franchise tag. It's a big investment. And what the commanders did is they made a decision earlier in the offseason. They decided to pay Deron Payne. And a lot of people didn't think they would do that. They did it. And that's where the money went. There wasn't additional money to put the franchise to, or the fifth-year option on to Chase Young mm -hmm. because now going into training camp, they're going to be at about $7 million over the cap. So they were $10 million shy on putting this fifth-year option on Chase Young. So they made that decision. Any, you can debate that. What they saw was a player who was healthy and productive, and they decided to put, put the money into him instead of Chase Young. Can't fault that. It does not mean that Chase Young is a bust. And I think that that's the perception. I think people think that off a fifth, if a guy doesn't get his fifth-year option, he must be a bust. Jordan Brooks didn't get the, must be a bust. Well, he's not healthy. He can't really fix that very easily. So I, all that being said, is I'm kind of like arguing away the excuses or the counter arguments that people are making to him without spending as much time saying that he's a good player because he was really good in his rookie year. And I'm just willing to bet on a guy that I saw do it bounce back in a defense that I know is good. This defense found its footing and was effective down the stretch. It, now, if people are looking at it from a team DST in their fantasy leagues, they didn't quit quite what they wanted because it didn't create the big turnovers, but numbers have shown history has shown that a team that tends to do well on the points against and the yards against is able to, to sustain that year over year. Mm -hmm. I like the investments that they made on their defense. I think it got a little bit better with the pieces they got. And so I'm, I'm, I'm bullish that chase young can bounce back. What does that mean? Exactly. I mean, I I don't know if he's going to bounce back and be among the league leaders in sacks or if he's going to be you know, the next Nick Bosa or anything. But I think it, it's fair to say that this guy can be an above-average pass rusher. 
on a, on a good defense. And I think that that has real value. I think there's you know some merit in the idea that a kind of a rising tide of a good defense with good pass rushers up and down the line can elevate him, can help to elevate him. And I think that he's a, a decent bet for a double digit sack season. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. I mean, I, I've been on the, you know, don't call Chase Young a bust train for, for a while now because it, it, you just can't judge him because of the injuries, right? They, like you said, that that rookie year was incredible. There's a reason that he was the number two overall pick in the draft. We saw what he did at, at Ohio State. He was getting the Nick Bosa comps because he was as dominant in some areas, even more dominant than than what Nick Bosa was because Nick Bosa had injuries uh, during college as well. So Chase Young was able to compile even better stats there. All these things have to kind of be taken into, into consideration because he, he's, you know, he's going into year four. Really, it's kind of year three. He, bit, he just barely cracked 100 snaps last season. Uh, we talked about him last episode as well with Jace. Jace had him as a breakout candidate. I know. So I know I'm optimistic. Jace is optimistic. It's nice to hear you're optimistic about Young as well, because I, I think it is absolutely too early to call this guy a bust. And, and you mentioned it at the top, you know, how I think. It, it, it's it's relevant the amount of hype that a player gets right because it it, it kind of it's it matters as far as perception and how it affects ADP and 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 value IDP value and stuff like that because there was significant hype around him obviously after his rookie year maybe too much I know he was being crowned as kind of the the edge one for dynasty and, and things like that already now it's kind of seemed to overcorrect to the point where everyone just kind of hates him uh, mm -hmm. because he didn't live up to their <laughs> expectations and he really let them down so i i think you kind of have to take that into account and find a, a, a you know a happy middle there for for chase young and you say a bounce back i like it because if he can just get back on track i think that's the main thing if he can push for those 10 sacks or or more possibly even like if he gets nine nine and a half eight and a half something like that i think people would be a lot more satisfied and feel a lot more comfortable about him going into that fifth year as well um if he's just gets back on track and stays healthy that's obviously the main thing right but yeah, it's hard. It's I I I just don't want to hit a, hate on Chase Young. I think he's still a very good player, super athlete. I think he'll be able to recover from the injury. Like you said, it's a significant injury, but I think he could get he could bounce back to the point where he's a relevant NFL edge rusher again. And you know, imagine if he gets traded to the Lions or something like that. That's that's been one of the kind of the the main um, trade rumors out there this offseason is that the Lions are interested. But I could easily see, you know, if he, if that were to happen, that the narrative around him would shift super fast, right? People would be rooting for him. Everybody would be very excited about a fresh start and, you know, how he's going to look in Dan Campbell's defense and playing across from Aiden Hutchinson. We could still have that here in Washington. The defensive line is very good in Washington, and I think there's a chance um, that he absolutely bounces back this year. So I'm 100% I'm with you with Chase Young. All right, let's go to one, another guy that has let us down, let me down specifically, because I, he he was easily uh, probably my, I, I would say not probably, definitely my biggest miss last year. I, I was very high on Marcus Davenport with the Saints. Um, so he is now with the Minnesota Vikings. It was a career year in 2021 when he he landed nine sacks in just 11 games to go along with a career high 
82.0 pass rush grade and an 88.8 overall grade. Unfortunately, he came crashing back down to earth in 2022. Um, obviously, the, the the high expectations to follow up on on a breakout 2021 campaign kind of hurt me. But I'm, again, I'm not gonna you know toss a guy aside because of of one season. I think there's still some underlying numbers that are promising for for Davenport as a potential bounce back here on a new team with a potentially bigger role. You look at you know obviously the the half sack. That's all he had last year. Was was a massive miss um and you know he he did get relegated to more of a rotational role than in than in years prior as well so he was playing just around 50 percent of the defensive snaps so um if you look again at those underlying uh, numbers and pass rush metrics, there was a drop off from 2021 to 22, but it wasn't nearly to the extent that I think his sack numbers would suggest. If you were to compare his numbers from 2021 to 2022, the biggest thing obviously that stands out is the sack totals going from nine to, to, to a half sack. But the drop-off in total sacks compared to the drop-off in pass rush metrics um, points to probably being unlucky more than anything, considering the variance in sack rates from year to year. Uh, if you look at pass rush grade for Marcus Davenport, it went from 82.0 in 2021 to 75.0. So not a huge drop there. Pressure rate from 15.1% to 13.3%. Again, not a significant drop-off. Um Win rate, 20% down to 18.8%. That win rate is still very impressive. Um, again, the difference, you know, is is in the sacks, right? I think, you know, um, if, if he were to be somebody that I think came close to his sack totals from 2021 or, or even exceeded them, seeing as he played around the same number of snaps, nobody would really bat an eye at the dip in the pass rush metrics. So, it, they, it, that at least stands out to me as there's a potential there that this is still a very good edge rusher. Um, he'll have a chance on a new team with a potentially larger role as a starter opposite Daniel Hunter. Um, so I, I would think that he could get back closer to those 2021 sack. Ellen and the playing time lines up in Minnesota. Nice. Well, I like this call too. I think it's a really interesting one. You posted something on the, on the bird app the other day and it said something like he was the player who had the fewest number of unblocked and cleanup sacks of any right. player in the nfl i could be remo- remembering this wrong but i think he had the most the year prior hmm. i could maybe I, you know i don't know if you posted that or i saw somebody else posting that but i, I was really intrigued by because I, I remember i was on him too and i wrote him up in the idp draft kit that we had i had davenport and josh sweat so yeah. I, you know, I don't know if 50% is a good hit rate for IDP analysts. I don't know. It's just not <laughs> probably not. But anyway, you know, I had I had it written up in there, both of those guys. And and that was the one kind of thing that stuck in my craw is like this is this could be this is might you know he might not be as good as I think he is. But I felt like just that he was really developing as a pass rusher coming down in 2021. And so I was just terribly disappointed in 2022. Yeah. And so I guess my take on him is that I, is that it reminds me a little bit of Jadavian Clowney. And you and I had him both as a bounce back candidate in 2021. So why mm-hmm. I remember that, I don't know. But I do remember <laughs> that we were both right because he had like nine sacks. We kept saying, you know, there's this big joke. The guy can't get 10 sacks. It's like, well, right. nine every year. Isn't that enough? You know, he's he's not great, but he's fine. Right? And so I feel like that Davenport's kind of a similar player. Just really impressive conversion of speed to power. And now it goes into a Brian Flores defense where, where they're going to be blitzing left and right. And they're they're he's not he's not going to be asked to 
it, I, I don't I wouldn't guess to sit in there and, and try to read you know stand up at a tackle and try to read the from the edge as much and so I've kind of attracted the idea that he's going to have an opportunity just to get upfield and not think and I and so I think that he's in a position to succeed here and I think that if he settles into a Jadavion Clowney kind of a nine sacks a year type of thing that's fine like it's not an edge one but I mean I the, I think he can be a productive player. And so I, I like his up his his, uh, his chances to rebound here too. So I'm on board with you. I don't you know I don't know if we would want to debate whether or not he was a you know 15 sack type of a guy. But 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 um I but again we're it's I think that again a former first round pick that the Saints traded away two first round picks to get, and it's it's similar to the same theme that I mentioned a minute ago where it's just. People just want to say, oh, well, he didn't live up to expectations and he's a bust. And it's an all or nothing type of an argument. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just time to reframe the argument here, reframe the perspective and the lens on what this guy can be. He's not going to be a guy that I thought maybe there's a chance he would kind of step into the top 10, 15 edge rushers in the NFL last year. That didn't happen. And I'm I'm not bullish that will happen, but I think that he can be a guy that's kind of pretty solidly and, you know, kind of the the 20 to 25 range, 20 to 20 to 20, 30 range, maybe is in terms of just ability. And mm-hmm. so I w- would be, you know, I don't know. It's kind of, he's not there obviously now, but I think he could still probably get there. And from a production standpoint, be a guy that you'd be comfortable with kind of plugging in there as your second guy or platooning with another guy based on matchups and for IDP leagues. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I, I think that's reasonable. And, and yeah, it, it's, again, it's about kind of resetting expectations, right? You know, this is a player that the saints traded two first round picks for to trade up in a draft to get him. And the same thing with, with another guy that we'll talk about here shortly, who, you know, potentially overplay overpaid in the NFL, but we don't have to set those same expectations um, for, for IDP. Right. So I, I did pull it up while you were talking there, about the cleanup rate from, from 2021. So this is surprising. He was actually third Third, third best again, third lowest as far as cleanup and unblock pressure rate again um, last or in 2021. So 23.8%. I think he was 20.2% or 20.6% last year and 23.8% this this the season before that. So it's, it's been pretty impressive, surprisingly, you know, for a, a guy that, you know, hasn't been great as an IDP there, there's a lot of signs that he's a very good pass rusher and a very good NFL player. And it does a lot of good things. It's just converting the sacks, right? So we know finisher rate isn't like a stable thing year to year. I think there's very, a a decent chance we could see that kind of correct itself here in 2023 in Minnesota. All right. So speaking of the guy that I mentioned before about uh, high expectations in the NFL, the Miami Dolphins paid this man handsomely after they traded for him. Who is your next uh, bounce back candidate? Now, my next guy is another Dolphin, and I didn't really think about that until probably today <laughs> that I have two Dolphins on the list. <laughs> I, you know, I was really surprised to hear you and Kissling Barry a couple weeks ago just not be very excited about the Dolphins. <laughs> I, I really was. Like, Man, they got quite an assembly of talent here, and Vic Fangio is the guy that everybody wants to be like in, in terms of who the best defense might be. Dan, the head coach, said, look, we just went out. We said we're going to pay the most money and get the best guy. And so they picked Vic Fangio. Is, you know, is he been around a while? Yeah. You know, Are there an awful lot of coordinators out there emulating what he does to, to, to try to you know, win games? Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, you know, Bradley Chubb, I think, steps into a good situation here. And people say, well, it wasn't good last year. I agreed. Well, it wasn't good for Jalen Phillips either. I think most people agree that Jalen Phillips is good. 
Uh, I, I was impressed with Bradley Chubb with the Broncos last year. I just really thought that that was just early in the year. That was as, as about as dynamic as I had ever seen him look. And this is a guy that had 12 sacks in his rookie year, which was a long time ago, 2018, and then suffered an ACL, not unlike Chase Young, and, and lost time and really had seemed to have a hard time getting back to where he had been. And then, in my opinion, last year, I really felt like he finally was back. And I, and I was really impressed with his play. He had five and a half sacks with the Broncos across eight games. You project that to a 17 game season. It's 11 and a half sacks. He had two sacks with the Dolphins over nine games. You project that over the course of the season, maybe it's eight games. That's four sacks. So that was the difference. He had seven and a half sacks in the season, which doesn't sound exciting. But like we said, Jalen Phillips had the same situation. These two guys had similar numbers of pressures, according to Pro Football Reference, across the year. Bradley Chubb was 15th, tied for 15th in total pressures, according to Pro Football Reference. And you know, didn't have the sack totals that some other folks had. There were, you know, some of the guys that were below him were like Aiden Hutchinson and Brian Burns and, 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 and Chenna Nuosu. So it's, I think he, he has the opportunity to outperform some of those guys as an IDP asset. Now, again, people are, you know, say, well, he was the fifth overall pick and he's never going to be worth it. Fine. That's probably true, right? But then again, the Dolphins traded a first-round pick to get him. They paid him a huge chunk of money, $110 million or something like that. And I'm always loath to try to bet against the NFL. I'm not going to sit here, you know, <laughs> you know, weekend warrior and say, I know more about football than the Miami Dolphins. I'm just, I'm not that guy. You know, I right. try to take what the NFL tells me and they're, they're telling me the Dolphins are telling me they think this guy's a good football player. I, you know, I, I don't know who else was, who was in the market for Bradley Chubb when he was traded, but. I don't recall being thought this totally nuts. I remember them talking about him as a trade candidate and people thought that they would get, it. you know, the Rams were talking about offering a first for uh, Brian Burns. So, you know, it's, it was something that was out there is to deal a first for, for a, for a developed edge rusher. You've, you've been talking a couple of times in your pod about how it takes guys a couple of years to get going as pass rushers. And so you get a guy like Chubb who's 26 years old or thereabouts. And it, it's like, you want to draft a guy like Chase Young. I mean, not the best example, but you draft a guy, you take three to four years to develop, and he finally gets good, then you got to figure out how to pay him. Well, you know, the Dolphins are a win-now team. They said, so let's just, rather than try to worry about drafting another guy, let's just go out and pay a guy. You know, and I don't, he's not going to be as good as Jalen Phillips. I'm not telling anybody they should take him ahead of Jalen Phillips. But I, again, I think this is a guy that can be, you know, I think he could, I think he's better than Marcus Davenport, for instance. I'm interested sure. in your take on that. Not a lot better, but I think they're kind of in a, you know, I would definitely put uh, Chubb as a, a tier ahead of him, and he would be a guy that's closer to 20, and Davenport would be closer to 30 in my book. Okay. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I think, yeah, like looking back, I, I was probably a little bit too harsh on, on Chubb with the <laughs> with Tom, and I, I think Tom referenced it, you know, or prefaced it with with you know, how he was paid and, and things like that. So I I'm, I'm not for him, you know, getting paid that much money. I, I know, like you said, the NFL kind of, kind of knows what they're doing, but you know, we, 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 we've seen a little bit of inconsistency from Chubb before. So I worry about, you know, him living up to the, the, the contract and, and the cost of the first round pick and everything, but I do think he's a good player. I, I just don't know that. Yeah. He's maybe worth that money, but eight sacks last year is not bad. Right. Um, You know, he, he didn't have any of the year before seven and a half before that, then he had the one the year before before that and then uh 12 as a rookie like you said so um 
hey, maybe there's a trend there, right? Where he has like a really good season, then he drops down below one or or less, but no, probably for four not. more years, yeah, 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, probably not over four years, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I do. I think he'll be. I think he'll be fine. I I think I like davenport probably slightly more i probably flip them like where, where you mentioned the 25 and 30 spots mm-hmm. um i probably do like davenport a little bit but the, the volume is going to be there i think he is a decent pass rusher he was showed that last season on on two different teams he, he was he wasn't maybe as good as he was um well, well he wasn't as good in miami as he was in denver to start the year right but mm-hmm. you know he's transitioning to a new team mid-season I, I think we can forgive the guy for that right i think you know with, with a full off season under his belt and, and kind of starting the year um with the same team and playing with the same team because he's not going anywhere now but um yeah overall I, I do feel i feel like last year you know was probably a good bounce back for him too but i think if he can get to that double digit territory again like he did as a rookie i think that's what you're saying is the goal here right mm-hmm. so yeah. um yeah I, I don't mind it at all good deal uh, all right let's go to another edge rusher here shaq barrett uh the tampa bay buccaneers so Buck, uh Barrett's been solid um since he joined the Bucks in 2019 he he posted uh, a 19 and a half sack season in there obviously I'm not saying he's going to bounce back to that level of <laughs> of production um he followed that up with with pretty strong seasons of 8 and 10 sacks but um through 8 games in 2022 he managed just 3 sacks before tearing his Achilles uh which ended his season Word right now is one of optimism for Barrett. He does expect to be fully healthy for the start of the 2023 season. He, I know he was taking part in mini camp a little bit. He wasn't practicing or anything like that, but the, the expectation is that he'll be ready to start the year. I know he's an older player, so what he'll look like is, is probably the bigger question here. Um, you know, the, the, this is a, the poor guy too. He, he lost his daughter this off season, just incredibly heartbreaking stuff. And, maybe another reason to root for him here so because he does still seem committed to to football and getting back on the field um but you know as far as the the on-field stuff uh, he's posted consistently strong pass rush grades always above 70 um and even into the 80s for a large part of his nfl career um the 65.1 pass rush grade last year was a career low, but again, kind of hard to blame him. He didn't get the chance to finish the season and build on that number a little bit more. But I think if he can get back healthy, back to that kind of 70 plus pass rush grade range, I don't think he should have problems delivering for IDP managers consistently on a weekly basis, especially with one of the, maybe the more volume heavy roles for his position in the league where he's averaged more than 77% of the defensive snaps since joining the bucks uh, four years ago, obviously biggest question mark going to be how he comes back from injury um, and, and what he looks like as a, as a 30 year old edge rusher, but he, he's always been solid. He's always been good. Um, I, I think there's at least a chance that we could see him uh, produce uh, regularly for, for 2023. Certainly agree. He's been a good player for a long time. I just, and I would need somebody that knows more about Achilles and the like to weigh in. <laughs> it just, that's, a frightening thing to me. But that being said, we just saw Brandon Graham bounce back. I think he might have had set a career high for sacks last year. Coming he off did, the yeah. First time he like got double digit. 
Yeah, yeah. I was like, what? how the heck? I mean, I was a guy. I wasn't. <laughs> I was like, you know, that's my edge sixty. I don't need him on my team, and he gets eleven sacks. So <laughs> maybe I shouldn't be on this podcast. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, that's that's just you know, and this is a guy too that's not a premium athlete. I, I've mm-hmm. seen people put out takes, and I don't know if this is how backed up a science this is. I've seen people put out takes that the premium athletes are better able to recover from these catastrophic injuries. And, and so if that's the case, well, you know, he, he has a 3.91 relative athletic score. flat. So obviously it hasn't prevented him from being a good pass rusher because, and it's a position where athleticism correlates to production pretty highly. And so he's over, he's already beaten that. So maybe he'll beat the Achilles too. Uh, the other thing too, is that I looked, I had to Google it while you were talking. It's like, it looks like his injury was the end of October. So we're talking about being 10 months out at the beginning mm-hmm. of the season from surgery. That's, that, that's tough. I, that's, that's, um, but I, I certainly agree. He's a good player. I'd love to see him bounce back. I, he's a guy that I've been rooting for for a long time. I, I, I never really liked free agency very much because I'm just old school, but that's a guy where he gets, he leaves on free agency, finds a starting job and succeeds in it. And you got to be happy for him there. I mean, that's, that's like to me, like Aziz El Shire is another guy like that. You can't get a starting job without leaving. You got to leave and you know, yeah. hopefully, hopefully, but he does break out. You want to see mm-hmm. the guy succeed in that spot. And so I would love to watch what Barrett's done to date. And I certainly hope he does bounce back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the hope, right? Definitely, I would say my my riskiest pick just because of the the injury stuff and him being a little bit older. But I just like I really like him as a player. Just kind of rooting for him more than anything here. So um, hopefully, we'll we'll see how it goes this season. But uh, yeah, one to keep an eye on if he does get healthy because there there should be significant volume available in that Bucks defense. Um, let's go on to uh, a couple interior players here, defensive interior. Who is your uh, top? Uh, bounce back candidate here my my interior defender is eric armstead the beauty of this pick is it can't be wrong he had zero sacks and 11 tackles last year let's move on no (laughs) don't don't jinx it (laughs) that's right that's right he's going to have at least 12 tackles and half a sack (laughs) well i I, this is not this is a guy i think it's interesting tracker he he He's played basically three different positions. He was drafted as a as a three four defensive end, a good I mean, what twenty sixteen or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then they moved him out and had him play you know a wide nine end position. As it was described by the uh, Joe Staley, who was the longtime uh, offensive tackle there, a star offensive tackle for the 49ers, as as having Buckner and Armstead out there trying to rush from the edge was like having a freight train bearing down on him every play. <laughs> well, it, you know, eventually the offensive tackles figure out how to fend off a, tr- a freight train. He just doesn't have enough moves to be an effective edge rusher. You game in, game out, you play in and play out. And so they move him into defensive tackle in week eight of 2021. And since that time, he played 11 games down the stretch there, and then he played three playoff games in 2021, and he played three playoff games last year. And you take that statistic that if you, it just so happens that 17 games, his production over those 17 games, conveniently skipping over the 2022 regular season, is 64 tackles and nine sacks. I'd sign up for that. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty strong DT one right there. If you can, I'm not predicting he's going to get that because you know what he did, what he didn't do in 2022 regular season matter. But I, he was also a guy that was like Devonja Campbell, banged up and couldn't seem to to find his footing uh, through the course of the regular season and played through a lot of injuries. But the level of production that he was able to put up in his other, he's what he's played a grand total of about 
you know, 30 or 32 games, a defensive tackle. What he's been able to do just since he was switched to defensive tackle mid-season in 2021, I think is pretty impressive. And then you add to the fact that he's got Javon Hargrave coming in to play alongside him. And these guys are going to play interchangeably. It's not like that's not like Armstead's going to be the nose tackle and Hargrave's mm-hmm. going to be the three tech in every play. And they got Nick Bosa on the edge, and hopefully Drake Jackson emerges. I mean, this is right up there with the Commanders is the best defensive line in the league, and it's it's also another good defense. And they're going to have opportunities. It's going to be a rising tide situation. And so I'm, I'm bullish that you know Armstead can can get back up at least into that ten to fifteen range where things start to get dicey. There's really really ten good defensive tackles right now that are slam dunk top 10 picks mm-hmm. in terms of you that dt required leagues but you're looking after that and this to me this is a guy that's right up there this is a guy that i want after those top 10 are gone <clears throat> yeah it's perfectly said i mean look nine games last year zero sacks right that the first time in his career he's he's, he's ever had zero sacks I, he's going to be much better hopefully healthier this season obviously the big thing that yeah, like you said, that 49ers defensive line is going to be really strong. Adding Javon Hargrave in there with them as well is just going to make things uh, easier for him, hopefully, and, and open up some opportunities. But yeah, I like the call. I think Armstead is absolutely getting uh, slept on at this point. It's another one of those uh, players where people are drafting late and they're, they're just sorting by who scored the most points from last season. Uh Armstead's not coming up on any of those lists. You actually have to kind of go out and search for him um, to add him to your to your queue. And I, I think he's absolutely a great kind of value and, and a potential bounce back candidate here. All right, let's do another defensive interior player. I am going with uh, Leonard Williams of the New York Giants. So played in just 12 games last season, under delivered with just two and a half sacks on the year. Um since his first full season with the Giants in 2020, Williams has posted an 11 and a half sack season and a six and a half sack season. So this past year obviously was a significant decline from what fantasy managers have kind of come to expect from him. 11 and a half sacks, probably unlikely to happen again from a defensive interior player. It's it's rare for any interior defender to, to reach those heights more than once. So Somewhere closer to seven sacks, I don't think is an unreasonable expectation for Williams in 2023. Um, Interestingly, despite the two and a half sacks on the year, his 74.8 pass rush grade in 2022 was the best of his eight year career thus far. So again, sacks were let down. Many of the stable pass rush metrics are still kind of pointing in the right direction. Um, I think you combine that again with, you know, an expected 75% defensive snap rate. Williams should have plenty of opportunities to bounce back this coming season. One of the better interior defenders in the league. And I think that'll translate to IDP as well. And I believe I have him as a top 12 um, defensive tackle for 2023 as well. This guy's such an interesting player. That's like I'm looking at the age on that card. He's not even 29 yet. Feels I like know. he's been in the, for the league for a decade. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just seems like a hell of a long time ago that he was like yeah. the sixth overall pick, and he was out there with Mo Williams and Sheldon Richardson. And they were trying to figure out who was going to play outside linebackers so they could get all three of them on the field at the same time in their free yeah. defense. And you know, here's and the guy. I thought what's interesting about him is how productive of a tackler. Yeah. I thought that that would drop off a lot last year with the change in scheme, and it really didn't. I mean, he's right. Yeah, you know, I don't didn't crunch the numbers, but but, but he was still a, pro, a productive player, even just as a tackler, trying to play through the injuries, and not as useful as the as a pass rusher. But just when he was on the field, he was still an adequate player, unless you're you know just totally big play scoring heavy. 
Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think he's, he's at age 29 years old. I mean, there's, there's a lot of pass rushers that seem to be in their prime 27, 28, 29 years old. So, yeah, it's, 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 uh, he's out there with Dexter Lawrence, who's out there just absolutely collapsing in the middle of the line. And yeah. Kayvon Thibodeau's emerging outside of him. So, it's, it's, yeah. It's, uh, another one is probably outside of that top 10, but he's another one to be in the 11, the 11 15 range with Armstead that he yeah. just you're going to be pretty happy with, even if you mm-hmm. you feel like you missed out. I think you'd be in good shape with this guy. For sure. Yeah, really good defensive line shaping up there in uh, in New York as well with, yeah, like you said, Thibodeau, Aziz Ojolari, uh, Dexter Lawrence, and uh, Leonard Williams as well. But enough of the defensive line, guys. Let's go to the defensive backs, and we will talk about safeties. Who is your top safety bounce back this year? Yeah, we're in nerd out time now because I love talking about the bigs and the defense and the safeties, man. I just, yeah. we, we, you know, we've been at this thing 58 minutes, so we're in rough shape now. We've got me here till midnight at the rate we're going. <laughs> My first guy, this is a little bit of a homer pick here with Jeremy Chin of the Carolina Panthers. Uh, there was a, a widespread panic in the IDB community coming around uh, about late September, late August of last year, and because the the Panthers brass were saying, we want this guy to focus on safety. We want him to be a Pro Bowl safety. Sure enough, he was out there playing a whole lot of deep snaps at six foot three and two ten. And like, what are y'all doing? <laughs> well, yeah. those guys got fired. They lasted about seven games. Chin lasted <laughs> about four games playing in that role because he got hurt. Well, you know, Steve Wilkes takes over as the interim head coach and says, "Yeah, let's just fix this." So he goes kind of back to playing a more of a second level role where he had been for the first couple of of his of years of his career. And he pretty much resumes what he was doing where he's getting, you know, 10 and a half percent tackle rate and not getting the blitz opportunities he had the first couple of years, but you know, now, now he's got Edro Evero in there as defensive coordinator and Evero has some experience using uh, the second level players to, to blitz and simulated pressures. And yeah, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a question mark how all this fits together with Frankie Louvu and Shaq Thompson and Jeremy Chin. But they, what they did do is they signed Von Bell, and I think they it's a little bit like the, the Seahawks, where they clearly have two safeties. They have Xavier Woods and they have Von Bell, and those guys are going to be the primary safeties. And Jeremy Chin is guy that's going to spend, I mean, they'll spend most of their time in nickel. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that Jeremy Chin plays most of his time in the second level. And I always love when the guys, the big three in the IDP show, talk about the sweet spot. They love safeties that don't play safety. I think this guy's right. a safety that doesn't play safety. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I'm, I'm optimistic that he's going to be used the way he was. And you know, I know that um, others have said, well, we can't know until the regular season starts. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh, but hey, we're in the business in fantasy football of making decisions with incomplete information. And so this is this is a guy that I have as my overall safety too. And if I'm wrong, so what? I'll pick I'll, I'll pick up the, the next John Owens or Julian Love or whatever. That's the thing. Is just go for upside of safety. Go as high as you can if you miss. I'd rather know, miss, and know that I can just replace that guy with the waiver wire darling of mm-hmm. week two because I don't need a guy that's a – full-time free safety that I'm just grinning and bearing, hoping he gets a big play for eight weeks while I'm missing out on the waiver wire candidates. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing, right? Safety super replaceable in season off the waiver wire. You could get close to the same production um, that, that, that you will from a top starter, right? So you're not too concerned about the, the risk there and you don't really even have to draft Jeremy Chin as the safety too, because so many people are, I mean, Derwin James is going one and then it's all the, the, 
Jalen Petrie, um, Jaquan Brisker, those type of guys that people are excited about for their second season and things like that that are going after him. But I, I love Chin. I mean, back-to-back seasons of 100-plus tackles to start his career was awesome. Only 70 last year, but he also missed six games, like you said, so that was a huge part of it. Um, he delivered again, over-expected in tackles, and then you know even despite the missed games, but um, he also posted a career high in pass deflections with six. Still managed to get his annual sack in there as well just despite just two pressures on the year um but yeah my, my question was going to be what do you think how do you think they use him and i think you're right i think the nickel makes a lot of sense i think um when you looked at it last year that was when he was kind of his most effective as a tackler was when he was playing more in the slot and he performed slightly better as far as grades go as well um when he was lined up in the slot so Really like his potential if that's the way that they're going to use him. I, I think Von Bell could maybe be more of that, um, maybe the dime safety to play in the box and three safety looks, and then Chin and Woods maybe getting more of the full-time snaps um, with Woods deep and Chin doing some of the kind of second-level stuff, like you said, um, is, is, is kind of how I'm picturing it, but I could easily see it just being um, like how you laid it out as well. So excited about chin still I, i'm not down on him by any means i can't remember exactly where i have him ranked i'd have to look it up but it's not i don't think it's a low ranking for jeremy chin there's probably um i think maybe i have like some questions just about what his his usage is going to be and um how many snaps he's going to get and stuff like that but uh, again you, you can grab this guy outside of probably the top uh, easily the top five probably the top 10 maybe top 12 in most drafts at this point so um the risk is is minimal and and if it like you said if it doesn't work out you just find somebody else off the waiver wire pretty easily all right let's go to another safety here so i went with kyle duggar um of the new england patriots so duggar last year or well in 2021 i should say posted a very strong 92 tackle season on just a 77 percent snap share um that led that allowed him to land inside the top 10 safeties and tackles versus expected that season uh unfortunately 2022 the the role it, it, it stagnated a little bit he dipped to 74 percent of defensive snaps so just a little bit of a drop but i think it was more the significant regression in his tackle numbers that that kind of hurt him more than anything finished with fewer than 80 on the year so that came in below average and tackles versus expected as well at negative 4.4 for 2022 and the optimism for me for a bounce back season for for duggar basically comes from his potential to to hopefully see his snaps increase in in what's going to be a contract year for him um where i think he might be called upon to fill at least some of the void left by by the retired devin mccordy so Look, he, he isn't likely to replace McCourty in a full-time deep safety role. Uh, McCourty was like a perennial 1,000-snap player on the defense. And, you know, Duggar, I think, is at least capable of playing safety, uh, deep safety, I should say. I, I don't know if, if the Patriots are going to want to pigeonhole him as just that near the line of scrimmage guy. Because, that it, it, to be fair, that kind of has been what he, he is to this point in his in his nfl career but i think there's a little bit more of a need there right now and if you look at the safety room he's easily the best safety that they have on that roster um i know he earned the 10th most wins above replacement among all safeties in 2022 so that's last season um and he's just got consistently better as an nfl player every single year that he's been in the league so I, i'm hopeful that we see that snap rate 
rise above the 70, 75, 78%, get into more of the 85, 90% territory, hopefully. Um, and look, you know, deep safety obviously isn't something we want, but it, if it means that he's coming off the field less, it's still more opportunities for tackles. And I think he's still going to get a lot of that um, in the box snaps and near the line of scrimmage because he's so good at that. But Again, it's the Patriots. It's Bill Belichick. There's no use trying to kind of predict what the hell they're going to do because odds <laughs> are we'll be wrong. Um, but yeah, I think I think he I think he's earned a shot to play more snaps. But we'll see if the Patriots feel the same way. Yeah, it's it's just, it's a tough one. It's it's part because it's the Patriots, but it's mm-hmm. trying to imagine how these guys fit together is really interesting to me. As like you mentioned, he's the best safety that they have on the roster. I don't think anybody would debate that. The thing about the, your best safety is like it's like a Justin Simmons or somebody else. That's you know Minka Fitzpatrick. It's probably a guy that you want to play deep a lot because mm-hmm. that's the most valuable role of the safety. It's a, I certainly agree. I think there's a good chance he plays 100 percent of snaps. I don't, I, you know, I really do. I but the question is is how many of those are deep, and even I mean. Obviously, he could play all the same box snaps he did, and then just add deep snaps, and his total value mm. would go up, which would be good. And that's, I guess, how I would imagine it. I would, I would, I can't imagine he's just going to play 600 snaps deep like McCurdy did a couple of years right. ago, right? So, I, I they've got Jalen Mills back. They Jalen Mills is it was discussed or announced or something, whatever that's worth three months ago that they cut him. He was a cornerback, and they cut him, and they resigned him to play safety, which is. <laughs> I, I, I'm not so I guess they just said yeah safeties make less money so we have to cut you and resign you as a safety okay so I'm I mean Jalen I can't imagine Jalen Mills is going to be down there in the box because they got Adrian Phillips they have this Marte Mapu guy like so they've got these guys that that's that's the thing right so they've got Mapu they've got Phillips they've got Mills and they've got Duggar and seemed to me there was one other go oh, we got Jabril Miles Bryan in there as a slot that what's that Jabril, oh, Jabril Peppers. Peppers right it's another one so they've got all these guys that kind of fit as as tweeners between the second and third level with one foot in each level and that's that's the thing is trying to imagine how all that fits together is really interesting and i certainly imagine that they'll be you know they've been on trend with making these safeties more interchangeable i expect that that will continue be interested to see if they show any more too high at all or if they just really kind of just rotate one guy after another back there and and, and see where that goes but so so many guys that are just in there it's it's one of those too many mouths to feed situations between peppers and phillips and mapu and Jawan Bentley's going to play 75, 80% of the snaps as the primary linebacker. And so I guess I have, I, I guess it's like, I, like you say, it just, you just, it's hard to predict. You just kind of, you got to hope, but this is certainly the guy that has the upside. So he's certainly a safety one for me and, and I'm optimistic he plays hundred percent of the snaps. So I, I'd certainly take a, you know, take a stab at him here. Nice. Love it. Love to hear it. Yeah. I'm excited. I, I think there is definitely a snap increase um, in the cards for Kyle Duggar and yeah, I'm with you. I hope it is going to be hundred percent because that would be very nice uh, for IDP. Uh, let's go on to another safety here with your Dallas Cowboys. Who do you got? Well, Jaron Kirsch is a, is a guy that is, is probably not going to play hundred percent of the snaps, which kind of makes me sad. This probably makes me a little unhappy and it makes me think that this might be a little bit of a risky call, but uh, he did play hundred percent of the snaps or at least most games when two years ago was wearing the dot. And then last year got hurt early in the season and uh, seemed to lose momentum. And certainly it took him two or three games really even to kind of recover and get it back up to full speed. In the meantime, fantasy gamers got excited about Donovan Wilson. 
Well, Donovan Wilson is fine. Uh, you know, he's kind of a nice player, but he's just kind of a conventional safety. And these two guys are your starting safeties and base sets. And then Malik Hooker comes on the field for as a, as a primary deep safety. When that happens, it is J. Ron Curse and not Donovan Wilson who plays in, who plays the hybrid linebacker role. Mm-hmm. And so it is Wilson is just a safety. He he was more successful and in my opinion more fortunate to collect sacks than Curse was. And I, but my opinion is that safety sacks really aren't about being good at pass rushing. It's about the right play call at the right time. And we saw Wilson effectively fire downhill a couple of times, a couple of times on prime time and make some big plays, which were certainly exciting. But I don't think that you can rely on that happening year over year. And I really think that this is a situation where these guys are upside down in the rankings, a little bit like the Packers linebackers, where it curses the guy that's he's not playing deep very often. He's mm-hmm. playing overhang. He's playing on the line. So he might not have quite the box numbers that Wilson has as a strong safety. But you posted some information about there about these guys. Um, tackle rates uh, a couple weeks ago, and Wilson had a 9.9 tackle rate, uh, tackles per snaps, and and Curse had a 9.6. It's not awesome, but it establishes a high enough floor that he can go out there and have some opportunities to rush the passer, have some opportunities on the edge, and he's a, lo- a lengthy guy. He's six foot four, two fifteen. He he breaks up passes. He has the length to break up passes, and this is an aggressive defense that's looking to deny receivers football he had eight eight pass breakups last year as i recall i think he did each of the last two years so if you're in a league that's scoring those two then i think he's a pretty attractive guy and what i've been finding in my leagues as i as i draft is that i'm almost always taking defensive backs last literally filling out my entire roster and then taking defensive backs unless i feel like a guy has really slid and the only two guys i'm seeing slide to the point where i'm thinking about uh, steering away from that formula a harrison smith who is inexplicably underrated um, that uh, the tipster uh, Greek podcast I mentioned earlier, they said he was 31st on sleeper ADP. What did people wow. do in there? That's, That's great. I can't call him a bounce back candidate because he was a DB one last year. He's going to be a DB one again this year. So I guess just take the value and run curses. The other guy, he's the other guy that really lasts a long time. Dozens of, of defensive backs come off the board before curse. Oh, yeah. And this guy has optimal, depl- not quite optimal, awfully close to optimal deployment in terms of being a guy who doesn't play a lot of safety. And that's what you want is a safety. He doesn't play a lot of safeties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm 100 with you again. I mean, I love Curse and and I've consistently ranked him above Donovan Wilson and 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 will grab him late in so many leagues. I wish I could pull up that the uh, sleeper, um, what's it called, uh, the exposure uh, rates for how how many times you have a player because J- you're right, Jaron Curse just falls and falls and falls to the late late rounds. And you're right, you know when you get to that range he has one of the best alignments and deployments that you're going to get from the safety position um, among the guys that are left. Uh, uh, Obviously Harrison Smith is in that category as well. Maybe not as ideal alignment, but the snaps are a hundred percent, right? So that's the main thing with, with Harrison Smith, that really must be dynasty um, ADP or something because Harrison Smith at, at DB 31 is, is wild to me, but anyways, that that's, you're right. It's, it's crazy. I, I love J Ron curse. I, I mean, again, you know, 
just the 77 tackles last year, but he does a lot of good things. He he had the two sacks, he had a pick in there, some fumble stuff. You just saw it across the board. And I, I think you, 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 he could very well be in for better tackle numbers um, in 2022, especially still being in Dallas. Um, that defense loves to utilize the three safeties. Like you said, him and Wilson are the ones that kind of benefit the most from those alignments. But um I still prefer curse over, over Donovan Wilson for, for 2023. I'm with you with, uh, for that one, for sure. Uh, all right. Last name on the board. It is another safety and I'm going, look, it's my second New York giants player. It is Xavier McKinney. So McKinney, I think definitely let down a lot of IDP managers in 2022. He appeared in just nine games, only 45 tackles um, after racking up more than 90 in his first full season in 2021. Um, He's now missed significant chunks of two of his three seasons in the NFL, which definitely creates some cause for concern about his ability to stay healthy in 2023. But I think assuming he stays healthy, he should return to a role that allows him to kind of play various alignments across the defense including being the primary option to maybe rotate into the box for ideal idp production he was on pace for about 80 tackles in in 2022 with more games uh played would have likely been more big plays as well instead it was actually julian love that became the kind of main beneficiary of mckinney's absence he produced at a high level for idp managers instead with love off to Seattle, I think we should get another shot for uh, Xavier McKinney to perform well here. I'm not taking him as like a top 12 guy. I think a lot of people were excited about him in that range uh, going into last year, um, top 12, at least top 15. But, you know, as a safety two, I, I, I think you can you can do a lot worse than than Xavier McKinney. And, and I don't think he'll be costing as much because I think people are down on him after uh, letting him down, letting them down in 2022. Well, I might be a glutton for punishment. I was one of those guys last year that had him like, you know, around 12th or so. And I had him as a breakout sure. player. And I thought, you know, the people will, thought that would be high. And then I think there were folks, I think one of the, I think one of the guys, the IBT, IDP show had him top five. It's like, oh, well, I guess I'm actually down on him. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm actually, I'm, I'm higher on him this year than I was last year, to be honest with you. Nice. And so, so I have him as a safety one. Uh, I, I mean, I thought you, an interesting point on that player card you just had off of this that, he was 91st out of his at his position at a rate of tackles for loss and no gain. This is a guy that's playing on the line a lot. Yeah. He's playing on the line. His deployment was, you know, was it's not like he was deep all the time. Yes, he played some deep snaps, but he was on the line. He was blitzing. He was you know, he was he was um, getting into the backfield. He just didn't collect those tackles for loss and no gains. And I think a lot of it has to do with, like I mentioned earlier, the right play call at the right time for these safeties. They're not up there. They're not going to fend off on an offensive tackle and make a play in the backfield. That's just not, you know, that's not what right. you expect to happen for a 205 pound player. So it's got to be, it's got to be the situationally the right opportunity for him to make a play. And the second thing is these margins are thin. We're talking about players that we say, oh, the safety rushes the passer and that one doesn't. We're talking about four or five pass rushes a game, mm-hmm. you know, and so. The opportunities to make a play, you know, just the sample size is just not very high. And so we're talking about just a flat position where you're looking at guys that are getting nine to 10% tackle rates, and you just need a handful of big plays to really move the needle. And I think that his deployment was, was good enough last year that he could have had that. It just, it's just things just didn't yeah. break his way. And the second thing was that love was just a compiler on a team that had nothing, a linebacker, just yeah. nothing. 
Well, they've upgraded with Bobby Okereke this year, and they've swapped out Love with Bobby McCain. And I'm interested to see who wins that position battle to play opposite of Xavier McKinney. Because if it's McCain, I mean, McCain has, has always been a deep guy and a slot guy. Mm-hmm. Now, Love had been, too, going in the last year, so it's worth noting. But still, I, I'm if Okereke wears the dot and McCain is winning the job, McKinney all of a sudden has free reign to attack and make plays. And I, that's one thing I'm going to be watching for during the preseason, if, if we can find that out. Is to see how you know how what the what the starting defense is going to look like and how that fits together. I really think there's a lot of upside from mm-hmm. McKinney based on what he had last year, and I think that the deplo- the deployment, like I said, wasn't as bad as as people might think. I think that they just like look at Love's tackle numbers and they just assume that McKinney was deep guy all right. the time. That's just not quite right. This is this is an aggressive defense, and there's but that said, all all safeties are being used more interchangeably these days. There's there's very few guys, and there's a handful of them, like you know, I think Javon Holland and Juan Thornhill played a ton of deep snaps. But for the most part, there's not guys out there playing just 700, 800 deep snaps and stand back there. Every team is is doing more to show a two shot high look pre snap, and 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 make you guess which guy's going to come downhill. And the Giants are among those teams that are willing to do that. And so I would think that if he's out there with Bobby McCain, that Bobby McCain is more likely to be deep more of the time and that McKinney's opportunities to make plays will even go up relative to what he had last year. Yeah, I, I think that makes perfect sense. I mean, McCain makes – it seems like the obvious choice to leave deep. And, and if you look at some of the games last year with Don Martindale as the defensive coordinator and how he was using Julian Love, you know, he, he was using him almost as a linebacker for a lot of the games um, that, that were played in it there's no reason that he can't use Xavier McKinney in a similar role, get those ideal alignments. And then he could potentially, um, you know, outproduce a lot of the expectations for him this season. So um, yeah, excited about McKinney. I think he's a, again, another one of those guys that could be a great value um, that that could potentially push for that, that safety one range, like you said. So, um, but yeah, that that's going to do it for, for all of our Brit, uh, bounce back sorry i almost called them breakouts but bounce back candidates uh for the 2023 season i thank you all so much for listening and a big thank you to the man trip really appreciate you taking the time uh to come on the show again with me it, it, it means a lot i'm glad we could give the listeners some more of that uh, brilliant trip insight so thank you well, thanks very kind to call me brilliant i appreciate it it's always fun to be on <laughs> talk football with you and i'm happy to have the opportunity to pick your brain and ask you some questions Absolutely, man. Anytime. Um, but yes, before you go, please remind everyone again uh, where they could find you and your work. I'm over at footballguys.com these days and and been writing uh, articles about new defensive coordinators implementing scheme changes and what I think that might mean for their outlooks going forward. And that's a whole lot harder than it was five years ago when I started doing it. So <laughs> I'm interested to hear folks' feedback and what they think and always happy to interact with folks on Twitter and, and talk some football. Yeah, some really, really good stuff there. And yeah, insightful, insightful looks into defense, defensive scheme changes from trip. Definitely something you'd want to check out. Uh, as for me, everything I write up is up on pff.com. Um, I'll be updating my rankings and tiers for next week as well. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, I'm also on the PFF fantasy podcast talking offense with the great Nathan Yonke. Uh, we moved that show to two episodes per week now um, that the season is, is within reach. So excited to talk 
more football over there as well. And uh, of course, I'm still here talking IDP every other week in the IDP show feed. Uh, and speaking of which, we will be back in two weeks uh, with another brilliant mind. Mr. Justin Varnes uh, is coming back on to talk uh our favorite IDP values heading into the 2023 season. So I am very much looking forward to that. And until next time, IDP soap.